welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for the working photographer. I am Tyler Stallman. And I am Cameron Whitman. <laughs> yep, Cameron. We, all, we laugh every time, don't we? <laughs> well, because it's so lame. I don't know. It sounds now, awkward, right? Now that we have like a formal little thing. But yeah. I realized that, you know, if I show up on a podcast to, to listen to somebody else's for the first time, I have no idea who these people are or if I should care. <laughs> That's right. And some of them, every episode introduce who, like, why we're relevant. So I'd be like, and this is Cameron Whitman, a senior editor or, or what's your title? Master editor at Stocksy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. After the last week's episode, I ran into two DJ friends of mine in separate cities, one in Toronto and one in Calgary. And they were both like, hey, I listened to that last episode of your show. And I was like, you know, it's a photography show, right? And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but it was great. I got a lot out of it. And I thought that was really interesting. And one of them... Uh, throughout the idea that we should maybe talk about comparing your art with other people and finding your place within a community or, uh, you know, just how, how you think about the stuff that you create compared to others. That's really, that's really interesting, actually. Yeah. And, not, you know, we're not going to talk about it in musical terms, but it's <laughs> it's like a big thing that affects anybody that makes stuff, especially if you make stuff for a living. Mm -hmm. I'll just start off by telling you what I think. And that's that uh, nothing is terribly original most of the time. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm a bit of a cynic maybe when it comes to the way that much artistic expression happens. And it's cynical not in the way that it's unimportant or it's not valid or, or helpful to us all personally, but mm -hmm. that um, we really don't realize how much we are taking other people's ideas all the time. Right. And uh, the more we're convinced that we are really coming up with a brand new idea for the first time, that just means we're either deceiving ourselves better or, or doing a better job of forgetting where we saw an idea like this earlier. <laughs> yeah, willfully. <laughs> Willful ignorance. So. Yeah. Am I wrong? I don't know. No, I think you're absolutely right. Almost embarrassingly. I thought ahead of time, though, that we, we owed it to the community to invite like an art is an artist photographer onto the show that thinks in these terms a little more because mm -hmm. it's not really where either of us come from right we're but we both think a little more in terms of commercial photography yeah. commercial art yeah for sure i think it's actually arty commercial yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're the kind of people that put together volkswagen commercials <laughs> <laughs> exactly but that's a high place to aspire to in my mind absolutely it's you're you're, doing, you're being creative and you're making money that sounds awesome. That sounds like the dream to me. Yeah. So from the, that perspective, do you think I'm too cynical? Do I make sense? No, I think, I think that you're on. I think that there are a lot of caveats, though. Mm -hmm. I, I think that <clears throat> when it comes to, to being original, I think you're right. That, that like It's more or less impossible to come up with an original idea. They're being born from other ideas that came before yours. Every single idea that you have. I know that's going a little far, but... It's, it's really true. Like anything that you decide you're going to take a picture of, somebody else has already taken that picture. Yeah. You know, and they might not have done it well. That's the thing, right? Is that, okay, so you have an idea and I think it's really important to acknowledge where your idea originated. If you can, like if yeah, you know if you, that, if you recognize it, if you are yeah. aware of it. Yeah. If you were inspired by something, it's, I think it's important to, to fess up and make that claim that this was inspired by this. I have a story about my experience with this. Back when I was shooting for iStock Photo, I was really interested in Jill Greenberg for a while, who, if you're not aware, is a 
mostly a portrait artist that does that really strong rim lighting. Mm-hmm. And you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's like really big catch lights in the eyes and the the sides of the face are really strongly defined. And she has a great book of babies and of bears and it's a really distinctive look. But uh, at that moment, I hadn't seen it a lot in um, uh, anything less than high production photography. Like it just Mm -hmm. hadn't become very common yet. And so relatively early on, I started experimenting with that lighting style and mm-hmm. got um, close-ish to it, close enough, and uh, started selling photos like that. And at the same time, I started realizing how common it was. I was seeing that it was very common to do this with movie posters um, mm-hmm. and just kind of spotting it around and different people are doing it. But what I started encountering is that I had numerous people talk to me about the work I had done in terms of it being my look <laughs> or something that was original to me. And then... Another person that I know, uh, a friend on iStock, has a portrait series that uses the exact same lighting style. And it's a very extensive portrait series. It's beautiful, great work. But um, he had the feeling that he had some ownership over this style of portraiture and and that people have re- had that same experience of recognizing it as his work and his style. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I just found it really interesting to see that... depending on what the viewer of your work has experience with, they may think that it's original to you, right? Like they may not recognize the reference unless you tell them or show them what you feel like you were inspired by. Yeah. You know, I'm totally aware of who you're talking about. And I also experimented with these things and encountered, I mean, I literally like, um, experimented with the same lighting <laughs> yeah, well, and if you go on iStock photo now like you'll find it everywhere it's very very like it, has, oh, yeah. it is now just yeah. a, a mainstay of any photo site right and so it's in my perspective then and now like i always thought that it was just a there's only so many so many ways that you can that you can light anything right mm-hmm. and this particular way is i would say it's fairly common I think it's almost impossible to claim any kind of ownership over it. Um, I think that where the differences are is in the context and also in the way that you process it. Like if you look at Jill Greenberg's work, Mm -hmm. it's all done in the same way. It feels the same. Even though like technically speaking, I don't think that she nails the same exact halo aura or whatever you want to call it that's going Mm -hmm. on with the vignette in the background. Um, I think in the it's varying degrees of rim lighting. You know what I mean? I don't think it's like exactly the same every time. No. Like I think that your friend, who I, I happen to know all, as well, he um, he's incredibly good at keeping it looking all like one thing. Yeah, it's like a long-running series at this point, and it all feels like it could have been shot on the same day. Yeah, that's a, a real testament to him is mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that I don't know that it, I wouldn't be able to say like, oh, yeah, that's terribly original. But I, I would definitely put my hat off for the execution. That element doesn't have to be the original element, is, is maybe my point. I always also get a little frustrated when people call white photos Terry Richardson photos. Because <laughs> people have done harsh lighting on white since forever, since there were flash bulbs. Mm-hmm. And what Terry Richardson actually did was much more about the content. 
It was yeah. about the the way that he got people to behave in front of the camera. Um, he also had a lot of kind of pornography to his look, whether he was actually shooting pornography, which he would sometimes or bring that into a commercial shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like those are the things that are Terry Richardson. But plain white lighting is just he, that was just the convenient thing for him that he's like, you know what? This captures the mood of my photos in the way that I want to. That's but right. It does not mean that other people using this extremely simple technique are taking that idea at all. You can be just as original shooting plain white photos because it's not all about the lighting. The lighting is an element of it. It's it's one of the pieces you might be borrowing. So isn't it interesting when you hear, because, you know, I think that with Terry Richardson, there's there's always more than one opinion, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. And so like, I think it's just really curious to hear like when people who are like strobist fans mm-hmm. talk about Terry Richardson in general, my feeling is that they generally go off and say how bad he is and like, and mock him in, in all these terms. And, 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 you know, I think that, um, I think that that's absolutely incorrect. I think that Terry Richardson is, I'm not going to make a character judgment on him, but like <laughs> as, as far as a photographer, I think he's incredibly good and incredibly successful. Yeah. And the reason why is because he chose to, to use a lighting that that is harsh and direct and is ex- exactly reflects those same qualities in the people that he's shooting. Mm-hmm. And it's honest. And that's the thing about any kind of artificial lighting is that how you're using that lighting is a varying degree of the truth, right? Like if you look at Jill Greenberg's lighting, that's not the truth. Right. I mean, that is like the opposite of the truth. Mm-hmm. It's It's glamour. You know, obviously she's uh, making a statement with the way that she's portraying the subject matter, particularly with the crying babies. Um, but, you know, like if you compare to Terry Richardson, Terry Richardson is not trying to illustrate something like a fallacy. He's, he, I think he's trying to like tell the truth about somebody's darkness. Well, yeah, if we break down the little bit of um, like what are the motivations behind this lighting, what do they say for these two examples? The halo lighting of Jill Greenberg gives people literally an aura. It gives them some greater import or it's like, they, well, yeah, they're glowing. They are radiating and there's like something angelic about it and it makes them feel like um, they are very important in this moment, right? Like they are the center of, of the world. Um, and uh, the Richardson style is the style he is using is um, meant to communicate that th- there was no effort put into this photography technique. This is a snapshot. This was live, basically unedited. This is how it happened, right? Mm-hmm. This is much more real, whether it is or not. And, you know, those are just two examples. But the things, you can pull a million of those different elements, and you may take the bright white from Terry Richardson, but then, like, take the, I don't know, some other element from Jill Greenberger, from Andy Leibowitz, and um, that becomes the mashup, right? Now let's make some music analogies. It's like, it is like music. Any modern genre only exists because they basically started cramming together previous genres, and it's not ripping off the past to to bring that in. I mean, if I think about punk rock music, it's all almost exactly the same thing. <laughs> you know, you're, you really are using the same three chords and the same drum beat and um, just writing different lyrics to it. But if yeah. you're a fan of it, it's, uh, it is different music or, you know, blues. Yeah. It follows a set of rules and then you go somewhere from that. So nobody would say like, oh, because you're a blues musician, you're a ripoff artist and you're unoriginal. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I maybe, might. <laughs> yeah, if you hate blues. 
<laughs> I actually yeah. don't hate blues, but I, a lot of, most of the time I'm just like, oh, come on. Okay, but a, <laughs> a blues fan. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like an, it's accepted within that community. Yeah. That uh, and same with punk rock, you know. You happen to like punk rock, but anybody that doesn't can can um, make fun of it all they want, and uh, it, that's probably reasonable to do. So I think that, like with a lot of different types of art, you basically, you know, you have a fundamental understanding of what it is that you're doing. So, like with the blues, you learn like the twelve bar blues or whatever, and there's like this really simple guideline in which you can follow, but. You can break the rules after you learn something that well, but it's not really cool to break the rules until you understand them. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't really seem all that rogue. It just seems like... <laughs> An know, accident. Yeah, like you don't really have a point or a clue. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's always bad. I think it's just bad once you try to do something slightly different with it. Take a, a punk band or something. Sometimes, you know, it's just amazing when you hear a few people get together and not really know what they're doing. And it's just this pure raw energy and it sounds awesome, you know, but then like six months later, they try to write a song and all of a sudden they're, you know, they realize they don't actually know what they're doing. And then they're trying to like figure out what they or how to do it. And then they start trying to like emulate something that they like. And then it all falls apart. There's no foundation for that art. And I think it's the same thing with photography. I think that, um, I love it when people break the rules, but I also hate it when I can see through it and realize that it's flimsy and that, you know, it's not really, you know, outside of whatever it is that they did that caught my attention. But what happens when you don't know, like, we only have time to be so, like, aware of so many things around us, right? Sure. I can't, I'm not familiar with many, many photographers. I don't pay as much attention as I probably should. So am I being irresponsible by not knowing anything I might intentionally or accidentally be referencing? No, no, I don't think so. I think that, um, see, now it's, it, it, you're, you're dissecting it in a fun way, and I like it. But I think it's a little bit different because I think that, oh, man, you just got me all tangled up. <laughs> by the way, there's a video on YouTube called Four Chords. And um, I haven't watched it lately, so I kind of forget which songs are in it. But if you search for it, you'll realize that virtually every song you liked in the 90s has the exact same four chords in it. And <laughs> the thing is, you you wouldn't, you would not know, and it's not important. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to read some of them here for fun. So, um, Can You Feel the Love Tonight by Elton John, Take Me Home, Country Roads, uh, Paparazzi by Lady Gaga, With or Without You by U2, let It Be by The Beatles, No Woman, No Cry, Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground, <laughs> uh, Two Become One by The Spice Girls, Aha, Take On Me, Green Day When I Come Around, and so on and so on and so on. And nobody nobody thinks about that. You, don't, you do not recognize it when this is happening. No, but, but you like it instantly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you already like the song as soon as it comes on. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with this at all. Like, nobody's stealing from anybody. Well, I mean maybe maybe they are hearing it and being like, okay, well, now I'm going to go take that and do something. But well, right. that and is so completely this, reasonable to here, me. Here's where who who's your audience matters. Because um, for all of those songs, when when you're kind of, I guess, an amateur in terms of understanding and listening and caring about music, you're not going to know that they all have that similarity, that formula. Um, but if you're like a musician and you, you've written records and you've written, a, or not even records, just you write music, right? And you have a lot of experience writing music. You start to hear those things. 
And then when you hear them, they don't have the same effect on you at all. They, mm-hmm. The effect completely changes and you look and you see it and you go like, that's shit. And then everybody around you that's not, you know, that hasn't had the same experience as you looks at you and they're like, who the hell are you to say yeah, that that's problem? shit? Like, that's, that's one of the most amazing songs of all time. Mm-hmm. That won Grammys. In fact, all the other songs like it won Grammys too. What's your problem? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing is it's, it's such an obvious formula that for somebody that actually, you know, reads it as a formula. So are you impressed. saying that like if this song is targeted to you, you might take objection, but you accept that a different audience doesn't have to be as offended as you by um absolutely absolutely like i mean i it's it's just like okay for the sake of of a bad example um last night my wife went to see a concert and you know she'd asked me well do you want to go and i said wait well who is it and she she, she tells me the band and i'm, I'm not going to mention it yeah you gotta say who it is now <laughs> <laughs> okay it was train and i remember train and she just looked at me funny and she goes i'm guessing you don't want to go mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm like yeah, of course I don't want to go. And she came home last night in a, a great mood. And she had a blast. She danced her ass off and she just had a, a great time mm-hmm. at this concert. And, you know, no matter like how I feel about the artistic integrity of this band, I'm not going to take that away from her. You should ask if they played the song, Hey Soul Sister, because that is also in this Four Chords video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great connection. I'm mm-hmm. so glad that came around like Tied that. all back together. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think that I'm not going to begrudge my wife because she doesn't have the same experience with music as I do. The same grievances, uh, the same baggage. Yeah. But I think that the the same is also true with photography. Do you resent songs if they're written in like 4-4 time? No, no, no. I mean, I I actually, I think we wrote songs that made fun of that. But like... (laughs) One more thing on the originality. I think there's other parts of this we can move to, but um, I always also think of uh, writing formats like a haiku is my go-to example mm-hmm. that you, there are very specific rules to a haiku and then you can do anything with it and it's going to be judged on the merits of how it follows those rules and how it um you know abides by them and plays with them and maybe occasionally breaks those rules and that's just my go-to example in my mind when i'm thinking about taking ideas and tearing them apart or following them or, or becoming a cliche or whatever sure. that there's systems to this and the better you understand them the more you can mess with them yeah i yeah i totally agree that's exactly how i feel about it um i don't know how to to play with that with words though because that's my <laughs> yeah no me neither as you, as you can tell if you listen to the show neither of us uh yeah uh but okay so <laughs> the other aspect is comparing in terms of comparing yourself critically to other people like mm-hmm. looking at your work and how it makes you feel, how it makes you motivated or unmotivated or defeated or, or whatever. Like, uh, what's, what's your relationship with that? Uh, complicated. <laughs> uh, I think that it's, it's really difficult for me because of the, my position um, as an editor. It's, it's really hard because I'm, I'm the, one of the people that's constantly telling people, this is appropriate for this collection and this is not. Right. And, you know, no matter how I voice it, it it's going to be read by some people as this is good and this is bad. And that's not at all the thing. But that's, you know, that there's a stigma that comes with that no matter what. 
Um, and so I'm very mindful of that because I know that other people are looking at my work as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure that there's constantly moments where people look at it and go like, oh, sure, but that's good enough. Well, you're in a pretty specific situation now, but how did you feel when you were learning or growing or finding your feet as a photographer? Did you spend a lot of time analyzing other people's work? Did you, did it motivate you? Did it make you feel like you weren't good enough? Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm not particularly proud of that time because, you know, I think I started off on, on the right foot and, you know, I had a natural relationship with, with how I shot and what I wanted to shoot. Um, but then when I needed to, you know, start making money from it, it became very, very different entirely and very complicated. And I think that, you know, I didn't really have any idea of like how to create a commercial photo. Mm. Um, I don't think that I was necessarily um, cut out for maybe being a commercial photographer, just in terms of natural talent like or natural proclivity. So I, I think that I compared myself to everybody all the time and tried a lot of things and probably did a lot of very unoriginal stuff. <laughs> and not a lot that I was terribly proud of, but I... I look back on that time as not an artistic statement, but as like literally like going to school. Mm-hmm. In school, you know, one of the things that we do is if you go to art school or whatever, like one of the things you do is you learn to recreate a lot of art because you have to figure out how to make it. And I think that, you know, in my first couple of years as a stock photographer, I think that that's all I was doing is just trying to like, I would see concepts and be like, I can make that better than that. And so that was what I was trying to do. I got to say, I don't think there is anything wrong with that. I mean, that's your Hamburg. Like, it's fine to just be in the trenches of learning how to technically create stuff for a long time. And I don't think you need to be measured on all levels of success in that period. You don't need to be completely caught up in your artistic intentions if your focus is on technical skills or vice versa. If you want to spend some time, you know, exploring your creative side, you don't need to always be completely worried about the technical stuff. So I think it just gets skewed in, in perception because it's something that you're doing for profit, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas I think that a lot of woodshedding artists don't necessarily get to turn a profit off the stuff they're woodshedding. Right. In, in that way, it, it gets a little, you know, cause I, I, there's been a lot of times where, I was trying to explain what it, you know, what kind of photographer I, I am to different people and felt like, well, this is kind of embarrassing. Like, I don't really know how to explain, like, well, what are you? I'm a stock photographer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, does, not, that, what, it, what does that mean? You know, like <laughs> I only started feeling better about that when I started describing it as more of a lifestyle photographer. Yeah. Because I think that is also much more accurate because there are product stock photographers, there are sports stock photographers, there are adventure and food and, you know, as many genres of photography as there are, there are that many stock photographers. And, um, you know, the thing that I have always been interested in is uh, either portraiture, like studio portraiture or um, natural lifestyle type stuff. And once I found those words, I was a bit more comfortable with using those descriptions, like having a word for it made me feel more confident when I Mm -hmm. talk to other people about my work. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that um, just having kind of coming from an environment of, um, I guess, even like when I played music and and stuff like that, there was always this idea of selling out was bad. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when I went through that period, 
I told myself that I'm selling out, you know, and like you I yourself for it. No, I forgave myself and said, you know what? <laughs> like I, I need to, to eat and mm-hmm. I need to survive. And you're so I'm going to, you're buying in. Yeah. Well, I needed to find where my place was. And I think that that's something that, that everybody has to do. I don't mm-hmm. think that that's something you get to bypass. I think that as you're creating yourself as, as a, as an artist, not just as an artist, but as a, an, an artist that provides a service for people. Right. You know, you're, you're creating images for people, for, for other people to buy and use however they need. So um, a lot of those cases, it's not really about you so much. Mm-hmm. It is to a degree because they're choosing you for your style or for your aesthetic or whatever. You know, one place I see this happening a lot actually is my dad's work. He works at a film Mm, that's not the right word. A uh, set production studio, basically. They they manufacture like large scale uh, sets or set pieces for like plays, movies, theme parks, um, okay. at like a, at a pretty big scale for international clients. It's, it's really cool. And when I go over and visit him there, there's a huge crew of fine artists. So people that went to art school that are painters and illustrators, and it's interesting seeing them like they are still doing the thing they're trained to do. They are there painting, but they're painting mm-hmm. a backdrop based on somebody else's sketch. Right. So they're turning a, like a, a just regular sheet of paper into a 50 foot backdrop. And, um, you know, there isn't that same level of like expression for them because they're essentially recreating something, but they're also like fine artists in a way too. And I think because photography is more often commercial, we don't see those cases of like commercial painting that often, but, but, but it's interesting to see it because you usually think like if you're a painter, you are primarily an artist, but there are many painters that do it primarily as a profession, as a job. Or in China, there are these uh, fine art painting factories where people are just extremely good with a brush and they just create replications all day long. Mm Mm-hmm. And that boundary of if you're really technically skilled at something, but you're doing nothing but recreations all day, like where does the art begin and end, you know? Yeah. And man, I, it's so obvious that I didn't go to art school because this is probably all the stuff everybody sits around and talks about in the cafeteria in the first year. But, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think there, they more the, just sit around and talk about getting high or something. But. <laughs> Another part is that comparison and its effect on people emotionally. Like I've seen quotes passed around the internet that say things like, don't compare yourself to other people too much. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Just focus on your own work. And that to me, that's terrible advice. And I would be nowhere if I had followed it. Um, all of my growth personally has come from comparing myself to other people and usually critically. Like I need to look at campaigns in magazines and editorial shoots and, portraits by the best photographers in the world. And that is always how I've tried to measure myself Mm -hmm. because there's no point in patting myself on the back for mediocre work. Like nobody actually gains anything when I think I'm doing way better than I am. So I've personally, I found it really helpful to be, I think appropriately hard on myself if I'm not able to keep up with the work that makes me feel inspired. Like I always think about that if, especially when I make videos, um, like narrative videos, which I've only done a handful of, but 
I um, I know that they are not at a point right now that if um, if somebody sent me a link to watch this, I would be inspired to pass it along to all my friends and say, you need to watch this. You've got to check this out. It's great. And it should be the same way with photography. If I'm not creating work that people are excited to show their friends or, you know, they save it to their desktop to like set it as their background or if, if it doesn't actually motivate people to engage with it anymore, it's to me that it, it has limited success. It's yeah. Yeah. Do you know where do you no, know I, I'm going? I, I know exactly what you're talking about and I tend, I have to agree. I mean, I think that there's definitely something about, creating something for your own pleasure you know and getting that cathartic part of it and that it has its own value but i think that if you're um if you're trying to be successful and make a living and and or have a name or any of that i totally agree with your perspective here i think that you have to have an idea of what you're up against and that you have to look at a lot of things and and so you're you have to be informed I mean, that's, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of ways to disagree with this idea, but I also, I tend to side with you on this. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. <laughs> As a commercial artist, you know, I don't know how you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think you can limit it and only pay attention to the things that, that pertain to your marketplace if you want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, wow. I think a lot of people feel like if they were to be that honest with themselves, they would never want to get up in the morning. You know, like they, I, I can't, I can't say that's wrong, but I, I've definitely talked to enough people that are discouraged enough about their own work already. And even if they are extremely talented, some people are just predisposed to want to throw in the towel like every day, sure. <laughs> you know, like, ah, oh, this just isn't going the way I want. And like, this is no good. Nothing I do is any good. And I just want to quit now and Mm -hmm. we all have those days i definitely am um it's not like i haven't oh yeah if you're not having those days you're you're not being honest with yourself (laughs) yeah but to me it's it was that i had already decided that look that those days are going to come and i'm just not going to be too concerned about them because if i already know like the next day i'm still going to be taking photos i don't really need to worry that much that i feel like crap today i can just feel like crap and be there in my crappy feeling and be like, wow, I really do not feel motivated. I feel like I suck, but I need to deliver this to the client. So I'm going to keep working today and tomorrow, hopefully I'll feel better. And then, you know, maybe I do tomorrow. Um, and, and that having that ability to me means that I'm able to be way more critical of my work. I was, I was going to say, you just defined being a professional. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like every, everybody that we look up to and does much better work than we do goes through this exact same experience. I'm sure Christopher Nolan beats himself up before every picture and then he still completely inspires me with all of his movies and makes me want to do better work. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know how you couldn't frankly, but I'm, I, I also, I, you know, I, I know I understand that I have a particular way of, of, of thinking. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure that there are ways, but yeah, I don't know. I agree. It's, very interesting. I think this actually ties into our conversation last week pretty well because what that uncritical perspective leads to, to to me often is that people will publish a lot of shitty work that they'll be willing to kind of dump stuff that if they were to put it next to the image that inspired them or the other people's work that they really love. And this is, I'm totally not immune from this, but you need to, 
you need to be able to look at those two things and be honest with where you sit, right? You, you, if you can't actually see all the places that, wow, I really, I, I screwed up the lighting here and here and here and the model's elbows in the wrong spot. And like, <laughs> these are my mistakes compared to this other work that I really respect and that I was hoping to accomplish something at a similar level. You're, you're just going to be, you're not doing yourself any service. You know, you may be keeping your self-esteem up, but I think you kind of need to beat yourself up after a project a little bit. I, I try to every time I try to walk away from every project and say like, this is how I could have better been prepared. This is the gear I should have brought that I didn't. This is how I should have adjusted the lights. This is how I should have talked to the model. I try to find a, at least a dozen things to beat myself up about. That's interesting. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that I take quite the same approach in that regard. I think that for me, it's more of, um, I think it's more of like a, a weird mountain range kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> wave pattern. Uh, I think that, you know, there are a lot of times where I, I come home from a shoot or I leave the studio and I plug in the card and I'm grinning from ear to ear, mm-hmm. just looking at the photos and I feel elated by it. You know, and I'm like, wow, I love my job. This is so cool. These are great, you know. And then uh, two days later, I might look at the same photos and be like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. How much did I drink? Am I out of my mind? Like, this is crap. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, I feel that way about my portfolio in general all the time. Uh, I think that there are moments where I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm really, really on track for doing the kind of stuff that I want to do. And then I look at it another day and I feel like this is absolute crap. And I think it's probably because of the, the sheer amount of photography I look at all the time. Well, and I think going through this process successfully is a skill that I don't you know. Not like I have it. I'm, I, tr- I try to pretend I do of, um, act, you know, just recognizing the right things and being critical enough, but not too much. And, you know, you also have to, you have to remember that the things that you do or don't like about a photo so often are completely different to anybody that didn't take this photo. Yep. And that is, it's so hard to make that separation and to always remember that. And it's something you're probably confronted with every single day because the way that you analyze everybody else's work is very different from how you look at your own work at the end of the day, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I think it's impossible, at least in the context of my profession, it's, it's impossible to, to be able to self-edit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we get better at it, but... I think that everybody needs their own editor. Right. Yeah. That's the problem though, is we, for the most part, are our, our own editors. I'm uh, very lucky to be working with somebody that does a lot of my editing, but <laughs> but that's a lucky yeah, situation. And I think that the people who have a better go at it are the people that, that have people they can trust, that can tell them the truth. Right. Because um, I can tell you as, as an editor for a stock website that... Um, you know, I don't get a lot of honest feedback mm-hmm. and it's frustrating because like I, I want people to tell me when something sucks. Yeah. Um, I'll get things declined, <laughs> you know, but like it's not very often that, that they'll, I'll actually get an in-depth review of what I'm doing right and wrong. I feel like if there's somebody that loves everything I do too much, I kind of just start tuning them out. Oh, of course, of if, course. If it's all good, then it's uh, you they're, know, they're lying. Yeah. They're, well, either, no, either, or they just they don't have. Um, well, they don't have the critical perspective that you need. Mm-hmm. The perspective—that's the word. Yeah, um, it's not the it's not what you need. Yeah, and it's great and that unless, they enjoy. Unless it. you're a narcissist, and that's like all that <laughs> yeah. all that 
gets you going yeah. is it's constant adoration. And like, you know, I I hate to use I'm not into astrology, but like I'm a Leo and I, I really do live up to it. I constantly need uh affirmation from mm-hmm. my peers. And it sucks. Like I hate it, but like I need it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this cosmic funny <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. The fact that I'm I have this job where like it's something I need and I can't get. <laughs> well, I think you're great, Cameron. Uh, thanks, Tyler. But that's the yeah, problem though, is that, oh, I really appreciate it. But like, I really need to hear from other people and, and for them to be honest and not, not be rude about it, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you know, like, it's not like I can't see it. When something's pointed out, I, I'm quick to see it and then go like, yeah, you're right. That, that mm-hmm. is, that is weak in that. You well, know, that's and, why we're and, all on Instagram though, isn't it? To get all those hearts and uh, affirmation of, our work? Well, possibly. I'm not really sure what the, the story is with Instagram because like, you know, I see a lot of people that do great work that have a lot of likes and stuff. But then I also see a lot of people who are do even better work that have none. Yeah. And I think that that's uh, so much of that is about um, social marketing. And so like, I'm not really sure that that has a lot to do with whether or not the art is good. Generally speaking, people who have like really, really high numbers of followers are good. Yeah, you know, I think that the the average is is in their favor that they're good. Um, but I, I also realize that there are a lot of ways to cheat, and so like you know, I, I kind of take it with a grain of salt. Try not to to look at other people's you know Instagrams or whatever and go like, oh well, I'm really failing <laughs> mm-hmm. because I, you know, like I don't know if they're making a living. I do know that I am. So some of the Instagrams I find most interesting are the ones that are weird. Um, Like they aren't following any of the Instagram rules in a way. Uh, I don't know, like awkward angles, awkward lighting. Um, (laughs) But just uh, when there's something that like feels fresh and I can spot that photographer when they come up in my feed, I I really enjoy that. But I also really enjoy Like there's a lot of people I follow that do you know, do Instagram the way that makes you a big Instagram er mm-hmm. um, with, you know, big landscapes or centered composition or really bright exposure. And you know what? I also can really appreciate that because then usually that is much more, that's not, that, that goes back to our conversation of it um, not always being about the execution, but it can be about the content, right? Mm-hmm. If they execute the way that is super successful on Instagram, then I can just focus on like what the thing is they posted, the, the mountain or the product or whatever. Who's your favorite Instagrammer? Um, Anya B. Nice. <laughs> Not getting in trouble today. No. Um, it, my second favorite, oh, uh, Noah Kalina. He is the guy that did the, like the first big photo every day. Ah. If you remember the one that has the piano music. And no, um, I don't. was referenced on the Simpsons and like, there's one <laughs> that is the one that everything else is like uh, referencing now. It, okay. It's, it's at the, the bar for this. And uh, anyway, so that was kind of his claim to fame, even though that's not photography, he was just doing this project and uh, actually has an app, which uh, I can highly recommend called every day that lets you do this, which I've been doing for a couple of years now. And uh, anyway, he is mostly a, a real photographer and he's in New York and, 
does really awkward Instagram work. Kind of like I said, <laughs> he has a series that's um, like mountain beds. I forget. What, I think that's what he calls the hashtag where he takes all his sheets and blankets when he stays at hotels and piles them up in a big mountain sculpture and takes a photo of it and things like that. Um, there's like a street corner outside of his studio window and he just shoots it like once a week and has an ongoing hashtag of that. Um, a lot of really awkward angles and lighting and I love it. He's, he's kind of been my, uh, my, my favorite, not mainstream photographer for a long time. I really like him. So, you know what I really love about that is that this is not somebody that you aspire to be. This is not somebody that you're trying to compete with. Yeah. I don't think I could. And I think that that's, that's probably what makes me trust your opinion more <laughs> is that like, you know, as an artist that's working and doing things, you're not dropping names that are very obviously in, in like a, a sphere that you're wanting to be part of or you admire, mm-hmm. but you're not really cut out for it or you don't really belong there. And I, I don't know. I just, I really appreciate that because yeah. I think that, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, I hate it when, when you, somebody says, you know, who's your favorite artist or something like that. And it's something really obvious. And it also seems like something that they feel like they're kind of try to emulate. Well, if that. you ask me to like, if I'm in a different mood, I might just say Annie Leibovitz or something, but <laughs> Uh, you know, the, um, you know, it depends which favorite of what things, I don't know. Um, but anyway, you should check them out. Uh, Noah K A L I N A. Cool. And that will be in the show notes. Yeah. If I remember, <laughs> what are you into this week? What am I into this week? I'll tell you what I'm not into this week. Oh, an anti-pick. I'm going to be careful with this because it might just be that I haven't quite figured the flavor out yet, but like after a couple weeks with um, Fisco Seven, I'm just not feeling it. Oh. I'm not finding anything that speaks to me, and I just feel like it's all a bit boring. Oh, what were you? What were you trying it out on? Everything. Oh, literally everything I shoot. I I just run th- some things. You know, I run it through a, a few different filters and just. See if there's even a like a color scheme that feels good, and I'm just like, I just this is not me, and I, that's not me saying that 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 these are bad filters. I'm not saying that. Like, I think it's just me recognizing that that you each person has their pack, right? <laughs> yeah. And I love six. I think six is like without question my favorite one, next to one, which I think is is my most reliable pack for for you know doing professional work yeah i think six i think six is my favorite now because it feel you some of them feel close enough to one and then it also has more yeah a lot more like it's it 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 takes it in directions where i'm like i'm really happy to see it go like whereas like you know with five there were things i could appreciate Mm -hmm. but most of the of the stuff in five is like toy to me like right. I play with it and look at it and laugh and giggle and then I, I put something else that I can live with on it. So, um, yeah, but with seven, I'm, I'm just, I'm so bored. I just don't, I don't really care for any of it and it's, it's too bad. You know, it's funny. I, I also just kind of experimented with it and like have been clicking through things and looking at them, but my impression each time is I click through, I'm like, Oh, that's nice. That's nice. That's nice. And there's a bunch in there that I, like, I think are very nice, but they're all, I don't I haven't chosen any of them for anything yet. I still skip over them all in uh, in seven. Yeah. So I 
<laughs> and I, you know, and it might just be that I haven't like it does. I'm, it's not applicable to the to the kind of work that I do. You know, I, that's the thing is I don't think that it's you know like oh well they really screwed this up. That's obviously not what it is. I mean they know what they're doing and well, they do and great work. Obviously everybody doesn't need to use every single. Um, yes, please don't. <laughs> in fact, like I think it's it's a good sign for me that I that you know I know what I like and um you know like and that I have I also I have a lot of what I need. Um yeah, and you know I I think that that um if I am going to be critical on them for something it's that their black and whites don't feel like they're going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like every pack that has black and whites is just like a slight variation on the one before it. Right. I don't really do it. And like, whereas like if I compare it to, to Mastin's Ilford set, like no comparison. Mm -hmm. Well, there's also, as there are more and more VSCO filters to use, I find Mm -hmm. myself less sure of what I'm going to pick every time. And I still love the limited options of Mastin sometimes. It's like, you know what? I know what this looks like and that I love it. So I'm going to go with it again. And that is part of the, of the, the, I always talk about intention and I think that that's, a big deal. And that's why I love film is because before you shoot something, you, you know what your options are and that you have to live with it at that point. Like, you know, you and I have talked a lot about shooting color film and or, or not shooting black and white film mm. because you don't want to be limited because you know that you could always, you know, render it to black and white later. Um, where I think that, that the work has the potential to suffer is not pre-visualizing it in that way and realizing that like this is the color palette that I'm working so this is how I need to be seeing this if you don't think that the the environment is going to it's going to work with that color palette then you pick a different film or you have to grab a different camera because your film's still loaded with the other stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know I think that that when you're when you're going into situations with that mindset I think you're better equipped this reminds me of an interview recently with Roger Deakins and if you're not familiar with him he's one of the great modern cinematographers, uh, Shawshank Redemption, No Country for Old Men, Skyfall. Oh, okay. And so on. So he's, you know, very accomplished. He's and, good. And uh, he was talking about how he just uses one LUT, uh, so, if, you know, same as Lightroom preset, for all of his films now. And um, he'll slightly tweak it a little for each movie at the beginning, but he um, has just been working with the exact same preset on every movie since going digital. Um, and he's shooting with Alexas and... He's like, you know, it's, I, if I need things to look different, I'm going to change the lighting. I don't need to mess around with a million different looks and presets. I know what I like. And if something's going to be different, it should be changed on set. I like that. Yeah. I really liked it. Yeah. I think that that's, that's probably the most inspiring thing I've heard all week. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it's, uh, it's a good interview. It's worth, worth a listen. Ooh, ooh! I just remembered. Mm. There's something that 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 has really been making me, or getting my goat <laughs> for the for the past two weeks, and I just keep forgetting to talk about it, which is a shame because it's so cool. But um, there's a local band uh, here in DC called Beauty Pill, and uh, they recently uh, released a record called "Describes Things as They Are," and. You know, like it's it's an awkward situation because I, I you know I know some of these guys. I'm not like you know close buddies with any of them. I say guys, but it's male and female band. Um, you know, but I, I know them, and um, 
the singer and lyricist, I hear him talk about a lot of things on social media all the time. And so it's really a weird experience because the lead up to this record coming out, by the time the record came out, I wasn't excited anymore. I didn't even really, like, I wasn't really even excited to hear it. But I have so much respect for him. And also the, the, the music that came before that, you know, I pre-ordered the record and got it on vinyl. But like by the time I actually got the record, you know, like I wasn't excited for it. And then, you know, it took me a couple listens and, you know, the first probably two listens, I was just kind of like, eh, this has got some neat stuff to it. But I hadn't really digested it. And then um, sometime early last week, you know, I was listening to it and I, you know, I had, one of the hooks had set in. And then I also realized that I knew what he was talking about. I'd actually kind of experienced a lot of the the things that he talks about in the songs um, because of the way that he shares in social media. And it was a wholly unique and very interesting experience for me because I think it's probably one of the first times where like I actually heard the stories that became some of these songs in real time. Mm -hmm. And then to then hear them crafted as an artistic expression and for that to then not just work but like excel mm-hmm. and have it to be like socially conscious in a way that's like almost taboo it's good stuff man cool do you have a specific song to send everyone to um yeah well okay so if you want to get something that's a little bit quicker and by that i mean like uh, more pop more quickly digestible. Uh, they have a song called African or Barista. It's awesome. All but, right. Um, the, the song on the record that's, that's really melting me is called for pretend. Cool. I'm yeah. going to listen right after this. Please do. I have a follow-up recommendation. Nice. We were talking about ways to pre-visualize your shoot ahead of time. And a announcement came out for a desktop version of shot pro which I haven't used at all, and I'm still debating if I'm even going to try. But looking at the screenshots, it seems like something that might be exactly what we're talking about. It's basically um, really simple to use pre-visualization software where you can drag and drop 3D elements into a scene. You drop your camera here, decide what lens it's on or is on it, and you drop some lights in different places, set a backdrop, set whatever you need, and you can tell exactly what you're going to be shooting. You can sketch? Well, you should look at it. It's more of like a video game builder. Whoa, it looks like a video game. Yeah. And (laughs) what I wonder is if it would kind of suck you into taking more time to pre-visualize than actually performing the shoot. But Is there anything wrong with that? Well, depends how much time you got. I think that um, you just described Gregory Crudson. Yeah, if that's the kind of work you're doing, that's... That's great. But uh, that's, isn't that what this looks like it would be for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really for like filmmaking specifically, which is like that, right? I mean, he has a very cinematic look, so. Yeah, I don't think this is going to like help you to get extravagantly candid shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pre-plan your wedding like this. <laughs> I haven't decided if I'm going to buy it yet. It's 30 bucks, which is super cheap. But I also feel like now that it's in front of me, the decision to buy it or not, it's like, is this going to be another app sitting on my desktop that's unused? So I would hate that. But like, it's definitely 
you know, I kind of wish that they would let people try it. I know. Yeah. There's an iPhone app as well. Try it before everybody. iPad app. So, but that's, um, that's not my this week pick. My this week pick is even more awesome and a must have because it's free mm-hmm. and it's just called Avidon. Avidon. And it's for, I believe it's iPad only. I don't think it's for phones at all. Avidon. And it's an official Richard Avidon app that is a catalog of most of his work, almost everything he did uh, with a really clean design, really easy to navigate and huge images. And it's so beautiful. It's like the ultimate Avidon book for free in the app store. Okay. So help me find this. I don't know. Search for Avidon <laughs> on, on your iPad. Do you have an iPad? Is it? So it's, it's software. Right. I don't yeah. have an iPad. Oh, okay. Then I don't know if you can see it. But um, if you, yeah, if you turn on your iPad and go to the App Store, it is the first result if you search for Avidon. So, um, and actually, I'm, I'm going to a site now, and it's it looks like maybe they redesigned that with the same design team because, uh, which is AvidonFoundation.org, and you can click mm-hmm. through a lot of really large portraits. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, this is similar, and it's. It's just great. I mean, I really like his work. So having them present it in a really clean way for free like this, that's easy to navigate and easy to look at. Um, it's, it's really wonderful because it's free. I think everybody with an iPad should uh, go take a look. And if you don't have one, then, uh, you know, go to evidonfoundation.com.org. Well, what, if, what, what if you have a, uh, a phablet? Uh, well, I don't know. Check the app store. I, I don't know if it's available <laughs> for anything else. I'm guessing that that my I mean a six plus is sort of like a tablet. Yeah, I mean it should be. I they've got to work that out at some point. There is no good reason that iPad apps they are not. It's a gradient, right? There mm-hmm. is no hard line anymore between a phone and a tablet. So they got they got to work that out. Yeah, especially like if they're going to make phones that don't fit in your pocket, like <laughs> yeah, you better be able to use both. Absolutely. Well, that's this week. Good week. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. If you could have one other artist's portfolio and it was now your portfolio, who would it be? Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> uh, Vivian Meyer. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's a great one. You know, I'm I'm not saying this just because she's the hot shit right now, or has been for the past two years or whatever. But because like, I was actually kind of late to that to that boat. But mm-hmm. um, when I finally saw her, um, the the documentary that that guy made, I, I was haven't just, watched the documentary yet. I've just oh, you you got to be kidding book. me, for real? Yeah, I got to watch it. I assume. Yeah. Hmm. So I think it's on. You do you have like? Well, you're in Canada. I have, the, I have the internet though. I can, uh, you I can, have the I can watch things. Yeah, you'll be able to find it. It's it's on several different premium cable channels, but um, I think it's just called Find Vivian Meyer. Oh, watch that because that'll that'll really just that'll really screw up your mind hmm. in terms of photography. Because I, I think it, it, it's kind of interesting how that fits into this particular episode as well. Because it's it's she is this person who like you can't even imagine whether or not she liked any other photographer. Yeah. Like I, I well, 
I shouldn't make any comments not having watched this movie or read very much about her personal story, but like, did she look at photography? Like what, did she see photography as an art form or was it just something she like did because it came to her? Like, did she ever look at a photo book or go to a show or anything or she? I assume that she absolutely did. I mean, I don't think that like she, she was, uh, there was a little part where, you know, they talked about her being excited talking to, you know, there was a guy that she had almost, you know, did a show with or something like that. Like he had a a gallery or something and, and, uh, she was trying to work it out or something. Um, and she had told him that she got uh, a rolly flex and, you know, it wasn't just like your average rolly flex. It was like one of the nice ones, like a 2.8 F planar or something like that. And, um, you know, she spoke about it in in the kind of terms that like it, it it's not like it wasn't a passing thing for her. She was like super into it. She just didn't feel it was necessary to show it for some reason. I think that that's the most confounding and like interesting part about her is that like she she literally just did it for herself. And I think that when we were talking about that earlier, she is the the exception. I don't know that that many. I don't know that, that anybody else is is really built in the right way to be able to to have as much success as a photographer as she did. And I'm not talking about monetary or you know critical acclaim. I'm just talking about successful photography. I mean, her, her everything she shot was just brilliant. Mm-hmm. And like the other thing is that you sometimes you know like it's just this. They're little slices of life, you know. I don't know that you could really put a, a, a subject, you know, like what was she, what does she specialize in? I don't know. Life. Yeah, I'd be Annie Leibovitz. <laughs>